Are you all about distraction-free writing, Spencer? No, I love uh, distraction writing. It's my, it's the, it's, you could say that I'm known by that kind of writing. <laughs> it's your go-to yeah. move. Get distracted while you're writing. Uh, as I just showed you off air, the video for the free write, Spencer. It ain't uh, free. I forget the name of the, the actual company. It's like Anhauser, Amenhaschen, Gaschen, something. It's, I keep getting, I've been getting ads for it since it was on Kickstarter in like 2014 or some shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Basically, uh, what it appears to be is a typewriter with a Kindle attached to it. That's what, like, that's basically what it is. You have the keyboard, which does not have arrows, so you can't, like, edit as you go or go back, which is a pain in the ass. And there's no, it's not like a computer, so there's no mouse or anything. So you can't, like, revise your text without deleting, which is a big pain in the ass. It's e-ink, which has a major lag, so when you're typing, uh, it's like the ink from a Kindle, like how that screen is, so it always lags, so you're not like, if you're like me, who watches typing as you type, like it's stupid, like that would be a distraction for me, but it's supposed to make it so you don't get distracted and you just write out your first draft and stuff. The Hemingway version I just showed you is, when I looked on the site, $999. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for basically a typewriter. <laughs> and when the keyboard's, like, extra small. Yeah, it's, it's so supposed like to be I, travel size. I feel like I'd be, like, my ha- your hands would have to be together as you're typing. Or, you know, you just yeah. type one-handed. Um, Could I make a suggestion for anybody who wants distraction-free writing, a.k.a. I don't want to use a laptop that's going to make me click on stuff and do whatever? Pen and paper? Yeah. Like, why can't you just do that? That costs you, like, $2. Versus $999 for a fucking... And I couldn't uh, couldn't imagine writing anything of length on that thing. Because your screen is literally, what, like four, five inches maybe? Yeah. That you can see, like... You know what I mean? Like, and then I didn't see how you can scroll well, through to read, right? Because again, it doesn't have arrows on the keyboard, so you can't use that. Uh, and if I don't think that, like I said, I don't believe there was any kind of mouse, so. I'm not sure. Maybe it just had an up-down button. I don't know. Because uh, it's not touchscreen. It does have, I think it's like eight folders, which are on the keyboard. I think you can click between eight different folders. And each one, I think, holds 10,000 words. So you can get 80,000 words maximum on this thing. And you can send the work to like your Google Docs through Wi-Fi. Or I forget what the other ones are. Dropbox, maybe, or whatever you use. But I just, I don't see the, if it was 50 bucks, maybe. Because I looked up, there is a word processor that's been around since, like, forever, since we were in school. It looks kind of like that thing. It's almost just like a giant fucking, uh, I don't know, like a calculator-looking thing. Yeah. Like, just the aesthetic-wise. Uh, and it's basically just, like, the same thing. A keyboard, uh, even though it had the keyboard has way more functions, and just a very small screen that you just type into. And it's pretty much the same thing other than uh, the Wi-Fi. You just plug it into your computer, and it sends everything over. So... Uh, and that thing's only $25 on uh, Amazon right now. So I think I'll just go for that if I was going to do something like that. The idea is cool. Like, I could yeah. see what they, were, what they were going for. And it supposedly has a four-week battery, which I think is a big selling point. Because you can't do anything on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a Kindle. It has a fucking huge battery because you're not do- it's not using any power. Uh, but that would not be for me. Like, I, I do get the aesthetics and the idea of it. I just well, don't think, like, the execution's great. It, it's also kind of ugly. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. You know what I would do if I was going to invent something like that? It would be one of those, I don't know if you've seen them, they're very weird uh, keyboards where it's just like a keyboard 
for your left hand and your right hand. They're just like blobs. Uh, and you just like maneuver some way and it like creates words. It looks very complex, uh, but apparently you could like set the world records for typing with those if you get, you know how to do it. Because instead of just doing A, B, C, D, like letters, you could do whole words by just maneuvering your fingers. Like it don't just. So is it almost kind of like how like when you can do it like on text messages, like if you yeah, hold like down the swipe your, thing. Yeah. yeah it's like but you're doing like it that. with your fingers. So like that's really cool. What I would do is get like something like that, like a keyboard or even just one of those regular keyboards that's just split in the middle. So you would have to, you couldn't henpeck like you do. Yeah. You would have to actually be, you know, left hand, right hand. And then I would have the screen like a full life, a full size screen in the middle, like a tablet screen. That way you could have, like you said, I don't want to look at one paragraph at a time. I would like to be able to see a whole page at a time. If you're lucky, I mean... That thing's like half a paragraph, yeah. Yeah, because what on the video, it's it showed like that, that little square was full. It took 10 seconds to read. Was it even like 100 words? I don't think so. And it covered up the whole screen. And so. there's a traveler size that's even smaller. And also, that doesn't even go into like... Uh, like the formatting of your paragraphs, like what can you use M dashes? Like what if you'd want specific kind of breaks or like that just seems like they'd be a pain in the ass. I like my idea better of the individual. Again, that would be like a custom thing that you'd have to get used to. But the individual hand keyboard with the big screen attached in the middle, that'd be like a page. Uh, or you could just use a fucking computer with the Wi-Fi shut off. Yeah, so you just get like an older laptop or something. Well, that's why I originally got this Chromebook that we just use for guests now. Like, I originally got that for writing on the road because like it had a good battery for a yeah. while, and I just used Google Docs, and that's it. That's the only thing I used it for. But uh, the battery, like you know how those things are. That, again, that is a selling point. Like the batteries on laptops always end up shitting the bed, and even if you get replacements, they're never that good. So uh, I thought about doing like the notebook or something like that, like the. Uh, like the Galaxy Tab when it was out and popular. I was like, get something like that for writing. But I just, I turned out, you know, fucking notebook in the pen. Yeah. Just 100% distraction free. I can have my phone there if I need to look up words or something, and it's fine. Because that's the thing. Like, you're still, are you not going to have your phone on you when you're using that thing? What if you need to know a word? Yeah. What if you uh, need to, like, oh, I do a lot of research when I write. I might need to know some of this stuff. I'm doing a hard sci-fi story. Now I have to fucking have my phone or a laptop next to me so I can research while I'm using this hunk of shit. Like, I don't... Yeah. I mean, again, if you're a very specific type of writer who uh, just needs that kind of focus and, like, a typewriter would be great for you, but you want something more modern, okay. If you got $900,000 of waste, yeah, you could buy that thing. Well, and also... And this could also just be because of the video that we watched about it, but the the guy that we saw reviewing it was pretty hipster in nature, red you know red hair had it all cut and styled up, goofy mustache, and it seems like that's the kind of thing that those kind of people. Well, we didn't watch the whole video, but I did previously, and that guy he, he didn't seem to like it. No, he said it was garbage, but he said they specifically had him do it because he's like the hipster douchey guy. Yeah, and as I think that was his words. He's like a hipster. I wish I would have got the name of that so we could have you know give him a shout out because this is a pretty entertaining review. But uh, the guy there's like a real tech guy on there. They didn't want to do it because he would completely just dismantle yeah. the fucking thing. Uh, but uh, that does that's not I don't think that's worth like I said if it was like 50 bucks I'd probably buy it just you know try it out and, and maybe to have, to have it uh, I probably again what if you write poetry like poetry too how would you write poetry in that it'd be so stilted like you would yeah. I, I don't know I don't think that helps with creativity it yeah it might uh, help with distraction but so it's just turning your phone off and your laptop off or putting it on airplane mode hmm. that's like a big one just put your shit on airplane mode 
Like, my laptop has airplane mode. I'm sure yours does. You can yeah. just turn that on. You won't get notifications if that's what you're worried about. I've never really had much of a problem uh, on my laptop when I'm writing on there, getting distracted by different tabs and stuff. Like, a lot of people, oh, they, I got to watch this. I got to go on Twitter. I never had that problem uh, because I don't really use my laptop for anything but, like, editing, podcasts, and writing. Yeah. Any any other thing, I just use my phone. Right. Like, if I'm fucking on the, you know, internet or something. But. That, you, you know, you get, you get the smart TVs to where yeah. you, just, you YouTube things on your TV. Yeah. So my laptop pretty much just is a writing device, which is why I got this one. So anyway, I just thought that was something you might be interested in making fun of for a minute. It's yeah. like a, a novel idea that's not executed great. No. I, like I said, I get what you what they were going for, and I applaud them for their effort. But when uh, there's a $25 version of your product that's been out from 20 to 40 years, I don't know if that came out in the 80s or not, but yeah. it's been around for a very long time, and it does the same thing pretty much, but it's just way cheaper. Why would you spend a thousand dollars? Yeah, and especially like he's gonna say, if you're gonna like, if I'm gonna spend that much. I don't want it to look like bud. <laughs> yeah, the the Hemingway edition was the really. That's why I showed you that video because that's the newer thing that's, they that's have. That's like the fancy one. That's like the really nice looking one. Well, it came in like a uh, like suitcase. a brief, like a suitcase, a little suitcase looking. I thing. think they all might come in a suitcase, but the other ones are like they look like Fisher Price toys. Yeah. I'll have to show you the picture. It's like black and white. They do kind of look like almost like a weird like speaking spell kind of thing. Yeah, like, it doesn't look like a real grown-up accessory. So I imagine whipping that out in the cafe. See, like, as soon as I saw that, as soon as I saw the like the suitcase thing, I was like, oh, you just like this because it's like a, uh, like a case thing. Like, Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have an interesting show for you, so stick around. You are now listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Do, 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 do. I think I've done that. I think I've done any possible inner, like, yeah. other than maybe, no, I think I've even spoken different languages as the introduction before. I think I've done everything uh, reasonable. You need to learn how to speak backwards. Or Klingon or something. Yeah. I don't want to do the back. I guess I could just loop it backwards. Ooh. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that for this one. Probably not. Uh, I am your host, Caleb James. Uh, with me today, Spencer. The Burmese bird bugger church. You're buggering birds. I'm a nuisance. You're uh, getting up in their, their bird butts is what that means oh, for the old English folk. Oh, I thought I was just being a bother. I say I said buggering or bugging? Buggering. Buggering, yeah. Buggering's the bum diddling. Oh, okay. Bugging would have been yeah. probably better. Today, you know what we're talking about today, Spencer? No. We're talking about words, man. What are words? What are words? Do you know what my favorite word is, Spencer? I know what your favorite word is today. Yeah, yeah, what's that? You don't know? I don't. You don't know? I don't know. It was in your name. It was? It was. Oh. Oh, well, everybody's heard about the bird. So stupid. Who ever, I want to know on Family Guy, like, who thought of that? But that that does definitely like a Seth MacFarlane. But like, bit. why that song? Like, how uh, he he's a musical guy. Like, he just loves bird as a word. I mean, why he's why fucking Conway Twitty? I think just to be a nuisance, like you said, uh, either on air. I don't even know when you're on air or off air anymore when you say things. That's how bad I am <laughs> in life. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Fuck Butt Dilda. Ooh, no, Ooh. not that one. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say no to that sponsor. 
I mainly just did the bird is the word thing because I was I want to title the episode bird is the word because <laughs> I was gonna title it like how to choose the best words but that is pretty specific and I don't know I feel like we always deviate so bird is the words and be the that makes yeah that makes more sense that makes more sense to me so Spencer are you very choosy with your words or you just fucking slap down whatever I'm normally a, a, a slapper yeah uh, but. I have noticed, um, like, um... You've been taking your time a little more lately, perhaps? Uh, not so much, not necessarily, like, time, but just, like, what words I choose. Right. Or, like, I have, uh, I noticed, like, sometimes a lot my, like, author voice sometimes deviates into my own voice. Ooh. And then, which wouldn't necessarily be, like, bad, but, like, a lot of times when I'm talking, I'm sure you notice, like, I'll be like... Like, you know, instead of like, oh, that person knew that, I'd be like, they'd known that. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, uh, like a dumb flub ass, yeah. yeah, just flub ups. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? That you don't pay attention when you're speaking. Um, but you can't write like that you unless, can't you do, know unless you're you doing can. dialogue. Yeah, you can't. So, and, but even then, it's still like, um, like it's the, the old, uh, you don't know nothing. Like, yeah. No, you don't know anything. In yeah. your book, it's got to be anything, not yeah. nothing, unless it's a person saying it, because then you sound like a maroon. Yeah. So, like, I've been trying to focus more on that. And then I also, I've noticed recently my um, sentences have been getting longer. Ooh, so I've been, I, that's something. I've been getting into, like, the like anywhere between like the 17 to like 23 range on like an average sentence so i don't know if that that like with my word choice or just or how i set up the words right. uh probably play a factor in that as well the setup is an important part too i have a lot of examples today so okay uh, get ready for some dry readings but we will break down some of these um i've i've t- uh, i think every writer goes through this phase where they Switch from using what might be the best word or their first word to the fancy word or the, you know, the high end word. Uh, but th- at some point, you like if you keep writing, you get better. You try to drop that. So I'm thinking of things like this is where you kind of toe the line, too. It's like, am I being like a pretentious ass or am I actually choosing the best word? So instead of being like, oh, is it sweet or is it saccharine? Mm-hmm. Mm. Are you mad or are you furious? Is it red or is it crimson? Like, it's it's very hard. It depends what you're writing, too. Like, a lot of my work is probably more lyrical now. So, you know, crimson would fit. Or if I'm writing, like, my head cleaving uh, Conan type story, crimson is a great mm. word. Uh, other times, though, red is the proper word. Yeah. Or any very, you know, or if you want a little spice, but not too much cherry red lipstick or you know apple red or just whatever well, uh, we've talked about before like when you get like the um like the Hemingways of like you know what i mean well, the, we'll get into that because i got a lot of him okay and say just because like the uh i mean just from what i've heard he's very succinct and to the point yeah and i wouldn't imagine he doesn't you he probably uses a lot of simple not simple words but well i, I brought it up on here before i might even read the actual quote but Faulkner made fun of him once. They had a great feud. Uh, Faulkner made fun of him once because Faulkner's like one of them incomprehensible yeah. to read writers. Uh, and he said something. I'm going to paraphrase something along the lines of Hemingway can't, you know, use a big word pretty much. Uh, and I'm sure he said it in a stupidly dumb way. But 
uh, Hemingway's response was like, oh, poor Faulkner. Does he really think big emotions come from big words? Yeah. It's one of my favorite things ever because that really encapsulates what it means to be a writer. You don't need these big words necessarily yeah. to have big emotions. Is that a, it, it was Faulkner also the one that like needled him into like writing a story in like four words or whatever? Uh, that I don't know. I don't that uh, that baby story. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Baby shoes never worn or something, something like that. Like that yeah. Uh, that. I don't. It's always attributed to Hemingway, but I don't think we've ever uh, like, figured out if that was actually yeah, him. That was an actual thing. Uh, that this is one of those legends. Um, so I'm gonna kind of start with the more simplistic styles here, and then I'm gonna move my way up to advanced. Uh, I got. I got. Uh, some of these are excerpts, and some of these are just book quotes. So most of them are. Like, they're still excerpts. I try to get ones that are actual excerpts from the novels, but some of them are longer uh, because not everyone I can find. Uh, like an actual excerpt, I can only go on Good Goodreads to get like a you know the uh, quote version, uh, which I don't like those as much. So starting off here, we're gonna do Harry Potter. Don't ask me what book I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, this is just a paragraph. Remember, if the time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy, remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember Cedric Diggory. Now, what sticks out to me in that, because this is aimed at kids, uh, so what some people might not realize is uh, J.K. Rowling used words like kind, good, and brave. Very short, very punchy words, but they're words that kids understand. Uh, a kid knows what's good, a kid knows what's brave. Uh, base words. Yeah, base words. Uh, she could have added a little flair to them. She could have used the word courageous. She could have, you know, upped it a little, but... And I was I could have used Neil Gaiman for this too, because his 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 would uh, read the same. Even his adult fiction kind of reads like that often, where he chooses not just what he thinks is the best word, but the word that's probably the simplest one to understand in the meaning of the sentence. Because you can say something that while it sounds good, it doesn't really mean what you're actually meaning it to mean. Like so, if you want to say you know somebody's good and brave and truthful and all that stuff. You can go a very convoluted way of saying that, where it might mean the same thing, but the audience might not know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, if nobody knows the words that you use, like if they have to constantly have to Google, you know, your work, yeah. it's kind of like, well, that people, A, it's pointless, B, people are going to be like, well, fuck this guy, I'm not going to read any more of his stuff. But those words could have a purpose to the story Depending, this is my next example. This is your boy Stephen King. This is from The Shining. Well, uh, real quick with the back, just for the uh, the Harry Potter thing. I, from what I've heard, as the books progress, they advance, they advance too. So. Which is a very cool way to yeah. write a uh, series. Um, so again, this is The Shining. Jack Torrance thought, officious little prick. Ullman stood 5'5", five five, and when he moved, it was with the prissy speed that seems to be the exclusive domain of all small, plump men. The part of his hair was exact, and his dark suit was sober but comforting. I am a man you can bring your problems to, that suit said to the paying customer. To the hired help, it spoke more curtly. This had better be good, you. There was a red carnation in the lapel, perhaps so that no one on the street would mistake Stuart Allman for the local undertaker. As he listened to Allman speak, Jack admitted to himself that he probably could not have liked any man on that side of the desk under the circumstances. Allman had asked a question he hadn't caught. That was bad. Allman was the type of man who would file such lapses away in a mental Rolodex for later consideration. Now, what I like about this, like, it starts off with a vicious little prick. Yeah. That's telling you multiple things. It's telling you Jack Torrance is a smart man because he yeah. used the word officious. 
I think I'm saying that right. I never fucking use that in my real <laughs> life. Uh, but he follows up with little pricks. So he's yeah. all. So it's like you immediately almost think of because uh, in this case he was like a a professor who had a drinking problem. That's exactly what I think of when mm-hmm. I think. I think of a very smart guy, uh, maybe like a Dylan Thomas type. Who is also an asshole? Is either an asshole or you know don't mind the sailor talk too yeah. much. Uh, so and then like we follow it up, you know, prissy speed that seems to be exclusive domain to, of all pl- small plump men. You get the, this is supposed to be from Jack Torrance's point of view. So you're getting that not only does Jack Torrance not like this guy, but with his word choices, you're already breaking down his character. Like when you think of somebody calling another person prissy or thinking mm. someone's prissy. Like, that almost has a masculine, almost like the toxic masculinity type of things. Like, oh, that guy's prissy, a sissy, he's, and then he's soft, plump. he's plump. He, yeah, so you're talking down, even though he's only thinking this, like, that's his observations, but you already get the set mind of the guy. So if you started that off, instead of saying he was an officious little prick, like, if you just called him a little prick, uh, like, that takes away some of the character right there, or... You know, say, like, if you he, chose like, anything else, like just a basic insult, it wouldn't have the same um, meaning behind it. Like I said, uh, or like you said, it's a very good way uh, or like a good tool for character building. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's one of those subtle things that's done without the reader realizing, which I really mm. like. Because like if you read that, you probably wouldn't have really thought twice about it. You're just going into the story because that's not something that necessarily pops out to you. Uh, but that tells you everything yeah. you need about know yeah. about the character. It doesn't... Uh, bother you or doesn't take you out of the story in any way but like on if you'd ever if you're like one of those people who like to reread or do like a deep dive on something that's like you that's when you start to notice it so like uh that's one thing i don't think stephen king gets enough credit for in his uh character creation yeah is the little things like that is like we've talked about before every stephen king character stands out on their oh, own yeah. and that's because everyone has their own way of thinking and speaking because most people just use dialogue in their looks but they don't realize the way they think just in like terms of their word choices and stuff often has an effect like people might think like oh this guy's a harvard professor he's gonna speak in this highfalutin manner but it doesn't necessarily have to mm. be like that i also like to uh because uh, I've been messing around with like having characters uh, talk a certain way, and then like something happens, and it kind of changes, and it's like, oh, now you, like the shits hit the fan because this guy's not talking the way that he like. You know yeah. what I mean? He's either really flustered or he's pissed off. He doesn't sound like how he normally does. Well, we talked before about the importance of your character when they interact with other characters. It's not always the same. Like, you don't speak to your brother the same way you speak to your mom, the same way you speak to your girlfriend. Like, they're all different, and you, that has to come through in your writing. Uh, we don't need to revisit that right now, though. Uh, this next example is from The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. This is great because this is the introduction of Huckleberry Finn. Uh, this is the first time you meet uh, Huckleberry, and this kind of tells you pretty much everything. Fucking Mark Twain's one of the best writers of all time, and uh, you really need to get on some Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. I still need to read Huckleberry Finn. Shortly, Tom came upon the juvenile pariah of the village. Pariah is such a fucking great word. Like, already, you already, like, that tells you everything you need to know. He doesn't even have to go into detail why this kid's an outcast. You get that he's a pariah from Jump Street. That's wonderful. Shortly, Tom came upon the juvenile pariah of the village. Huckleberry Finn, son of the town drunkard. (laughs) That's fucking great. Huckleberry was cordially hated and dreaded by all the mothers of the town because he was idle and lawless and vulgar and bad, and because all their children admired him so and delighted in his forbidden society and wished they dared to be like him. 
Tom's like the rest of the respectable boys in that he envied Huckleberry, his gaudy outcast condition, and was under strict orders not to play with him. So he played with him every time he got a chance. <laughs> Huckleberry was always dressed in the cast-off clothes of full-grown men, and they were in perennial bloom and fluttering with rags. His hat was a vast ruin with a wide crescent lopped out of his brim. His coat, when he wore one, hung nearly to his heels and had the rearward buttons far down the back, but one suspender supported his trousers. The seat of the trousers... <laughs> The seat of the trousers bagged low and contained nothing. The fringed legs dragged in the dirt when he when not rolled up. Huckleberry came and went at his own free will. He slept on doorsteps in fine weather and in empty hogsheads and wet. He did not have to go to school or to church or call any being master or obey anybody. He could go fishing or swimming and where okay, we don't need to go into the rest of that, but like that opening paragraph. Is like there's so many choice words that are like yeah. when you really read that they're just perfect. Like I said, I said pariah, but like just everything about you know his dad being a drunkard, cordially hated. Like that's such a great thing because it's like they're not just gonna be a fucking horrible to the guy or the kid. They're not gonna be like oh he's awful, we hate this guy, but they'll be cordial but still hate his guts. Yeah. Like oh don't play with that kid, but they're not gonna be like that to his face. And then just these details right here. He's the he's dreaded by all the mothers of town. He's idle, lawless, vulgar, and bad. Like the bad. Such a simple word, but throwing it at the end of that just makes you go, yeah, he's bad. Well, I, I like the bit with the uh, not supposed to play with something, but does it anytime he gets, yeah, anytime he gets, he gets a chance. Yeah, Tom Sawyer, he's not allowed to play with him. So every day he can, yeah. he'll play with him. Like that word order, though, if we, if we reversed it, so if it was... So he's hated and dreaded by all mothers of the town because he was bad, idle, and lawless and vulgar. It's not the same. That bad at the end, I feel like, just really mm -hmm. emphasizes something. Is there more we need to break down in this one? The fact, the, the, the descriptors of him too, gaudy, outcast condition. Mm -hmm. like, he can't just be like you know tattered or I worn run out. down. Yeah, he's gaudy, outcast condition. <laughs> like I, I want to do an episode one day because actually, you know what? We'll cover this when we do um, Sirens of Titan. Uh, because I personally don't think there was a funnier writer until, uh, other than Mark Twain, I don't think there's a funnier writer than Mark Twain until Kurt Vonnegut yeah. came about. Well, I was going to try to mention that at some point uh, in this episode of, with just finishing that, that uh, he's also one to, uh, when it comes to the words that he uses and how he uses his words, yeah. is very... Very specific yeah. and everything's with purpose, but... This is gonna be a long episode, but I just I just love like this makes me really want to read Huckleberry Finn because that's supposedly even better than Tom Sawyer, especially with the comedy I expect because yeah. that's so much more difficult to do in the written medium because you don't have like a funny face or like you know yeah. guys moving all weird when no he slapstick. When he, yeah, really. you know it's it's literally it's the words that it has to be the words in the right order to make them laugh. Well, okay, think about this. So you, you vision this dirty little kid. He's dressed in the cast-off clothes of full-grown men. That could just be that. Yeah. But then he has to follow up, and they were in perennial bloom and fluttering with rags. So you just think, oh, this kid looks like a fucking hobo. Uh, his his hat was a vast ruin with a wide crescent lopped out of the brim. So he's like this ragged, dumpy hat. Like. Well, and I, think, I just imagine the clothes dragging behind him because he's a kid wearing full-grown man clothes. Yeah. Like. Well, that's why he goes on. You know, he had one suspender to support his trousers, and the seat of his trousers bagged low and contained nothing. So it's just like, saggy ass <laughs> like the visual is so great and that's just the very opening of this 
Uh, we have to move on, but like, uh, I need to read Mark more. Mark Twain. He's just yeah. Mark Twain's one of those guys where I wished he wrote in a different era. Uh, hopefully, not changing his stuff. Just because, like, nothing wrong with like Mark uh, Huckleberry <laughs> Finn and Tom Sawyer and all that stuff. It's just like I would love to see him like write sci-fi or yeah, you know, something that I'd be more interested his, in. His take on on different, you know, America or whatever as it was getting older. <laughs> Uh, now we're going to go the opposite of funny. Uh. We're going to go to Ernest Hemingway. Now, I started here with Old Man in the Sea because I feel this is one of the was well, one of his last works, but I think it's one of his best works, and it really shows the purpose of his words. He remembered the time he had booked one of a pair of marlin. The male fish always let the female fish feed first, and the hooked fish, the female, made a wild, panic-stricken, despairing fight that soon exhausted her. And all the time the male had stayed with her, crossing the line and circling with her on the surface. He had stayed so close that the old man was afraid he would cut the line with his tail, which was sharp as a scythe, and almost of that size and shape. When the old man had gaffed her and clubbed her, holding the rapier bill with his sandpaper edge, and clubbing her across the top of her head, until her color turned to a color almost like the backing of mirrors, and then, with the boy's aid, hoisted her abroad, the male fish had stayed by the side of the boat. Then while the old man was clearing the lines and preparing the harpoon, the male fish jumped high into the air beside the boat to see where the female was, and then went down deep, his lavender wings that were his pectoral fins spread wide and all his wide lavender stripes showing. He was beautiful, the old man remembered, and he had stayed. If you substituted or just took out any main word in that, it doesn't read the same. Yeah. Because it's so it minimalistic. Yeah. If you think about, like, if you looked at this, if you put this through, like, the Hemingway editor, which will show you if your words are too big or too convoluted, you you don't get any, I don't think. Scythe, maybe, would be the biggest one that, like, people might not know, but he talks about, you know, the scythe and almost of that size and shape, so it's very specific. Yeah. He could have just said, like, a scythe, but the fact that it's the size and shape, like, that's, that's specific. It's not like you could substitute that for knife or axe. It has to be a scythe. When the old man had gaffed her and clubbed her, I maybe you could have said it hit her, but it just it just I just feel like every word is very purposeful, and it's weird because that's why people like who don't understand Hemingway's work when they read something like that, it's like oh it's very boring and basic. Like it's because you don't understand that that is like the top of perfection when it comes to writing. Mm-hmm. You might not like what you're reading, but like the fact is like you can't really change too much about that. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what he wanted to write and what he meant. There's often a lot of times where I write something and there's a thousand different ways I feel like I could write that and I have to choose. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, this is how it's going to go. And I always think, man, it probably still would be better if it was this or if I use that word. I feel like Hemingway didn't have that problem. Like once he got to what he wanted and it was done, that was done. Mm-hmm. He finished the painting. Well, I wonder uh, like what draft that's on. Like, you know what I mean? Final draft. Uh, I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder, like... How many he did. I don't think he did a lot of draft. I, mean, I don't know. He was, like, a perfectionist from what I understand, so probably a good bit. Uh, but, like, the, the description, uh, you know, it's lavender wings that were his pectoral fins spread wide and all his wide lavender stripes showing. He uses the word lavender multiple times. I find in my writings, I don't like redundancy, and I don't like repeating words if I don't have to. But with that, it's almost like the Thomas Wolfe blue and the blue on blue and the blue deep blue. It's like sometimes that blue is just the right word. Lavender is the, if he said lavender, then the next one said purple. 
mm. or something comparable, it wouldn't work. It's like, okay, was it lavender? Or is it this other shit? No, he just he stuck with lavender. You'll read a lot of writers who would change that. So they would have lavender as the first or second descriptor color, but they would change one of them to purple or whatever, you know, would be closest or try to describe it in a way. That's another thing you get with a lot of writers is they'll try to describe the color instead of just saying the color. Mm. It's like, oh, it was like this deep aqua sea maroon, the sun dipping behind the horizon red. Just say it was fucking lavender. Yeah. Like, just say it was purplish, whatever, lavender, you know? The next one, this is a shorter one. This is also Hemingway. For Whom the Bell Tolls. Uh, I like this book, too. How little we know of what there is to know. I wish that I was going to live a long time instead of going to die today because I have learned much about life in these four days. More, I think, that in all other time. I'd like to be an old man to really know. I wonder if you keep on learning or if there is only a certain amount each man can understand. I thought I knew so many things that I know nothing of. I wish there was more time. You can't substitute anything there. You can't remove anything because it's so simple. And if you like, if you're actually looking at the paragraph and you, you try to like... There's no unnecessary descriptions. There's no unnecessary additions of any kind. It's just, there's no fucking crazy, like, adverbs or anything. Mm. It's just, like, the straight. And that I could get that could be almost monotonous to some people. Like, if you're just reading, this is just, like, somebody talking. But that's mm. almost, like, how I picture, re- like, somebody reading it would be. It was just, like, this very calm NPR-style yeah. reading of his work. Uh, next up, now we're going to go up some levels. F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby, Spencer. Mm, you excited? Nah. <sighs> I only took a small paragraph because I don't feel like reading <sighs> all. Well, I'm going to kill myself later because I got Ulysses in here. Oh, God. So this is uh, Great Gatsby. And this is where you start to get uh, some of like, the adverbs and stuff because Fitzgerald was more of an overwriter, whereas Hemingway could even be an underwriter. He smiled understandingly, much more than understandingly. It was one of those rare smiles with the quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced or seemed to face the whole eternal world for an instant, and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. It understood you just as far as you wanted to be understood, believed in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and assured you that it had precisely the impression of you that, at your best, you hoped to convey. Now, Spencer, on hearing that, what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) I mean, really, like something was conveyed. It seems like that could be a sentence. That's almost Thomas Wolfe esque, where it's this long, drawn out paragraph to pretty much just say one thing. Like if Hemingway wrote that, that would have been one, maybe two sentences max. Yeah. It just, I, I don't know. It was like you're describing somebody's smile, and it just, it doesn't seem like it needs to be all that. Uh, now, The Great Gatsby's not that long of a book, but. If it was 500 pages, that kind of writing would probably bog me down and I would end up bailing on it. The fact that Greg Gatsby's only like 180 pages, I could deal with it. Yeah. Now this is where we get fucking deep in the waters here. We're uh, waist deep now. This is Thomas Wolfe, Look Homeward Angel. Uh, We read his blue edition from Max Perkins, you know, the editing of that famous, oh, her eyes were blue and it goes on forever. We did that on here before, but this is actually, I think, the opening. This is also why I'm very hesitant to read this book, besides the fact that it's huge. A stone, a leaf, an unfound door. A stone, a leaf, a door. And of all the forgotten faces, 
Naked and alone, we came into exile. In her dark womb, we did not know our mother's face. From the prison of her flesh have we come into the unspeakable and incommunicable prison of this earth. Which of us has known his brother? Which of us has looked into his father's heart? Which of us has not remained forever prison pent? Which of us is not forever a stranger and alone? Oh, waste of lost, in the hot mazes lost, among bright stars on this weary, unbright cinder lost. Remembering speechlessly, we seek the great forgotten language, the lost lane end into heaven, a stone, a leaf, an unfound door. Where? When? Oh, lost, and by the wind-grieved ghosts come back again. I'm going to be honest, I kind of zoned out halfway through that. <laughs> Thomas Wolfe was a man who definitely was in love with his own writing, I think. He writes like he's getting paid by the word. That was only four paragraphs. But there, three of them are only a couple sentences, and the rest are like one sentence. But that didn't seem like I was reading that forever. Yeah. That's one of those things. Because yeah, like, it didn't seem like there was a paragraph break at all in any of yeah. that. I'm not even really going to go into the word choices here, because it's just like we got too much to cover. But that's just so convoluted. I don't understand... Like, the whole novel's like that. That's why I'm like, I don't know if I can... Like, I need a, additional reading material to understand that. I would need somebody... You need a podcast or something. To... Yeah, like, it's that's... I should have did the Silmarillion, actually. Or Lord of the Rings probably be a little better for this, but, like, the Silmarillion, like, the word choices... I was waiting for you to bring out some token stuff. I didn't even think of it, honestly, and I think that's because I don't want to be here all day. <laughs> His... It, Just... La, 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 la. Tolkien's word choices were... Actually, probably the best in regards of he would he made his words, the ones he created, and just the ones he used based on their actual root words of what they well, meant. I was saying when you're creating words, yeah, but like he would name things, and like that would have to be its whole episode of its or a whole episode on its own because he would name things and come like use specific words from their original root word definition. Uh, like doom, he uses in the Silmarillion, your doom, your doom. I always thought Doom was like, you know, oh, shit. Something uh, bad, terrible. No, Doom is, for the original, what he's using as is fate. Your fate. So he says, oh, you're Doom. I always think, oh, so somebody's going to die? No, it's yeah. their fate. Like, it's not, not anything to do with fucking gloom and doom, you know? Dr. Doom? Yeah, so he's Dr. Fate. We already oh. got a Dr. Fate. Well, I got two. All right, now this is where it's going to get hard. So if you want to fall asleep, go ahead. Uh, These next three, actually. This is what ends it. All three of these are from Ulysses. Oh. Uh, but they're all different. That's why Ulysses is such a complex book, because every chapter is written different. I'm not going to look forward to editing this. Brimstone fire spring up. Dense. And I picked this one specifically because every word is very specific. Like every word clearly has a meaning. And the most of them, because most of these sentences are only one or two words. Uh. At least at the beginning of this. Brimstone fire spring up. Dense clouds roll past. Heavy Gatling guns boom. Pandemonium. Troops deploy. Gallop of hooves. Artillery. Horse commands. Bells clang. Backers shout. Drunkers ball. Horse screech. Foghorns hoot. Cries of valor. Shrieks of dying. Pikes clash on cutlasses. Thieves rob the slain. Birds of prey. Winging from the sea. Rising from marshlands. Swooping from eyries. Hover screaming. Gannets. Conorants. Vultures. Gosh hawks. Climbing woodcocks. Peregrines. Merlin. Black grouse, sea eagles, gulls, albatrosses, barnacle geese. The midnight sun is darkened. The earth trembles. The dead of Dublin arise and appear to many. A chasm opens with a noiseless yawn. It rains dragon's teeth. 
Armed heroes spring up from furrows. Wolf Tone against Henry Grattan. Smith O'Brien against Daniel O'Connell. Michael David against Isaac Butt. <laughs> but. Justin McCarthy against Parnell. Arthur Griffin against John Redman. John O'Leary against Liar O'Johnny. Lord Edward Fitzgerald against Lord Gerald Fitzedward. Just <laughs> <The> do- <laughs> for a timeout, it's so weird to hear like, well, we consider even now like common names now yeah. being used back then. <laughs> the O'Donohue of the Glens against the Glens of the Donahue. I, I like how you just start flipping it at the yeah. end there. It's just fucking Lord Edward Fitzgerald against Lord Gerald Fitzedward. I don't know what's happening. I think zombies came up at some point. <laughs> I think people were mad at each other. And there was a, like, oh, but like you again, you can't replace anything here because this is all very purposeful. It's just like what? Like I like how it, okay. Brimstone fire spring up. Oh, that's very detailed. Yeah. Ooh, that's like hellfire. Dense clouds roll. I could picture that. Heavy Gatling guns boom. Pandemonium. So you got a war is what you're seeing. Like That's what you're thinking. But then troops deploy. Okay, now you see the troops coming. Mm. Uh, gallop of hooves and the horses. Yeah. The, artil- the artillery's next. You start hearing the clap, the clap, the clap. The you clap. hear the horse commands. So the, the, the loud commands are coming. Uh, and the, well, they're horse commands too. So that means like, you know, Maybe this war has been dragging on because of the person who's giving these commands. Oh, march, march. Like their voice is hoarse. The bells clang. Backers shout. Drunkards bawl. So you got drunkards crying. Like there's just so much going on. The horrors screech. So there's horrors screeching. Like if you really stop to unpack this, it's just this whole entire scene. And he writes each part of the scene in one or two word sentences. That's brilliant. But I can't imagine like... I, like you would have to read that slowly, I think, to really yeah. get that. And then in the end, I don't know what the fuck's happening with all these people, like fucking Isaac Butt and mm. beating up Michael Davitt. I don't, I don't know who those people are. All right, this next one, uh, this is just a paragraph. I was expecting like an duel in there, like a duel rules there. At the end of the- <laughs> a warm human plumpness settled down on his brain. His brain yielded. Perfume of em- embraces all him assailed. With hungered flesh obscurely, he mutely craved to adore. I don't know what's going on there, but I like the plumpness that settled on his brain. Yeah. Is he drinking? Is that what's happening? Uh, his brain yielded to the plumpness, and perfume of embraces all him assailed. That, well, just the weird phrasing of that aside, uh, the perfume embraces, like, we think of perfume as a scent, but, the, like, is that what's happening? Is he getting embraced by a scent? Mm. This would help, too, if I had this in context of what was actually happening. I have no idea what this scene's about. And then with hungered flesh obscurely, uh, he mutely craved to adore. So what I'm thinking is a drunk man in a bar Trying is horny. Well, I think he's horny because uh. the perfume's embracing him. He's hungering for flesh. Like, I think he wants to get a lady and give her the old in and out. All right, here's the last one, Spencer. So I know you're dying to be done with this. <laughs> what special affinities appeared to him to exist between the moon and woman? Oh, God, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Her antiquity in proceeding and surviving successive Tellurian generations, her nocturnal predominance, her satellitic dependence, her luminary reflection, her constancy under all her phases, rising and setting by her appointed times, waxing and waning, the forced invariability of her aspect, her indeterminate response to inaffirmative interrogation, her potency over effluent and refluent waters. I don't think I use those words right. Her power to enamor, to mortify, to invest with beauty, to render insane, to incite to and aid delinquency, 
the tranquil inscrutability of her visage, the terribility of her isolated, dominant, implacable, replendent, prop- fuck, <laughs> Jesus. The terribility of her isolated, dominant, implacable, replendent, propiquity, her omens of temptus and of calm, the stimulation of her light, her motion and her presence, the ad- admonition of her craters, her arid seas, her silence, her splendor when visible, her attraction when invisible. Good Lord. Yep. Um. So clearly, again... Every word in there was purposeful because he, and I think that was supposed to be more of one of those, like, not necessarily uh, alliteration, but like a lyrical quality to it. Uh, That was very hard to read, by the way. Um, But just like the way he did these words, like, so forced invariability of her aspect, her indeterminate response to affirmative interrogation. That's a lot of eyes. Mm, Yeah. Uh, but then he breaks it up. Potency over effluent and refluent waters. Her power to enamor, to mortify, to invest with beauty, to render insane. It's one of those things where this is clearly more about the language than any story that's taking place. And I think that's the whole point of Ulysses. Uh, I think it's more about the language and the musical quality and everything versus actually telling a good story. Uh, he was a modernist, and that clearly shows. So if you want to talk about like picking the right words, well... That's yeah. yeah. I mean, he did a lot of work to pick the right words for that, uh, and it's just to be lost on dunderheads like us. He's right. <laughs> Could you imagine doing that much work? Uh, like, it'd probably take me a year to write a paragraph like that. Oh man! And this guy did that much work just for like most of us not to understand it. Well, and then too, was it wasn't much actually like writing back then, right? Isn't that still a lot of this was twenties uh, and thirties? Oh. I think he wrote Ulysses in 22. Okay. 1922. I guess we got to be more specific now. Oh, I'm old. <laughs> By the way, I turned 36 in November, and I just realized I'm going to be closer to 50 than I am to 20. <sighs> oh, no. So what do you think about words, Spencer? Does that make you want to choose your words more specifically and more purposefully? Yeah, or at least the... um to on the like on the second and third drafts, I think is where that yeah, really comes in. Yeah, because I think it's a lot of like the first draft. Like I, I'm a, I believe in the the first draft or the rule of the, like the first draft. You kind of like just, just kind of get, it, get it down. Now, if you like, oh, I know this is a good word. Yeah, put it down, but don't spend all you know. Don't spend like a half an hour trying to be like, what's that thing I need for, to make really make this sentence pop? A lot of times, I'll do either a mental note or actually mark a word that I know is going to need changed. Usually, though, I like. It's just ingrained in me that that's not the right word. Yeah. Uh, and not even just by definition, just doesn't fit the sentence right, or it's just not the best word in my well, opinion. Well, you've used that word a lot already, so yeah. you got to have to. So it's like, maybe it's not here, but like I know I use this word a lot in this story, and I'm going to have to take some of these out. Yeah. And, and like the way my writing goes too is I go by the old adage of the first word you choose is the best word. But when I get to the second draft, it's not just I want to spice it up. It's more about what you said with the, you know, the repetition. You don't want to use the same word too many times. And um, in my writing, what I like to do is I like to focus more on the language, too. So I have to convey the best way. Like, I need the best way to convey the message of whatever the sentence or paragraph is. But I also want to be enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't want to just be like Hemingway. So it's just very direct because honestly, that is dry. And I don't think that's very enjoyable to read. His work is more about the subtleties and the work as a whole. 
versus like any Hemingway story you take, if you just read a couple paragraphs of it, it's not going to be like that Joyce paragraph I read where you're like, there's a lot to break down there. Yeah. You can't really break too much down because it's so straightforward in a Hemingway. You have to have the whole piece, it's, it's it's the already, whole story. It's already broken down mm-hmm. by design. So I actually do like the Hemingway. I mean, the I like Hemingway's straightforwardness, and I think that's important, especially when you get to the drudgery of the middle parts of your story or when you just get to parts that are like transition scenes. You don't need to be a Thomas Wolfe and have those be like these big, long, bloated sentences or Alan Moore. You could have the transition scenes be like the direct, okay, and then they went into the other room. You don't need, and then they trot up to the other room mm. with fanciful ideas of maracas shaking in the distance, fighting like, along the way, <laughs> fighting after the merry little toots. <laughs> um, so I like the Joyce way of livening up the language, and I think that's going in more into my author's voice as I get older. Is a more lyrical quality to my stories. I like the fact that if you read my stories out loud. Uh, at least some of my more recent stuff, that it doesn't have a different meaning, but it might make you feel a different way. Just because, like, oh, that's like that's a pretty way, almost like, you know, what what is that sentence? Uh, cellar door or something is, like, the most beautiful sentence, like, something with a cellar door, because cellar door is just, like, a really pretty way. Like, it just feels nice to say, yeah. you know? Or, like, some people, like, the old Seinfeld bit, salsa. Yeah. I like saying salsa. Like, some words just feel better to say, or they just come out better, or they just make you think something. To, like, well, I mean, how many times do you have you, like, heard, like, somebody's quoting somebody else, and you could have, hey, you could have read that actual thing how many times, but, like, until, like, you hear that person actually... Uh, physically quoted and it's like oh it hits there like you like know Neil Gaiman he, yeah when he reads or when he says something it's way different than well now when I actually read because when I was like I told you uh, I was thinking about putting Neil Gaiman on here so I was looking up some of his quotes but I couldn't find excerpts but I just kept finding quotes but every time I come across one of his quotes I actually read it in his voice now yeah which because we watch that master class and stuff and it just changes it it makes mm-hmm. it so much more impactful I think but yeah like when you hear a writer, especially like and go with like a Finnegan's Wake or something, when you hear Joyce reading some of that, it even though it still might not make any sense to you, you're just like, oh, that's like it's like music almost. Like there's a quality to it that a lot of writers I find nowadays, especially a lot of like indie authors who haven't really studied up on different kinds of writing styles. They just I like writing crime fiction, I'm gonna write crime fiction. They don't seem to have this uniqueness to their writing in regards to the language used. Like, you can have a detective story, or you could have a detective story that hits hard because your word choices. Well, I mean, well, like, um, Nicholas Obagon. Yeah, but his detective stories have a lyrical quality to yeah. them. Like, uh, Blue Light Yokohama was very poetic, in my opinion, which made it... That's why I really like that, that series so far. I read the first two. is because it has, like... It has this quality that I don't find in other detective stories because most are like very gritty and realistic and stuff. But he has almost like a Murakami fantasy element to it, like a a, a dreamy element to it. I was gonna say he just from the um, the little bit of like Japanese fiction that I've read, he seems, and I don't know if maybe just because I have those two, like one one of those books takes place in Japan, and you know the the. The main character is from is Japanese descent. I don't know if that helps, but he it does kind of have like that not American kind of quality. Yeah, it to changes it. it up, but like his word choices, like I said, it's very like you get this very 
Mirakami dreamlike aspect to it, but then you get like this lyrical. It's just very like it's a Nicholas. You read it, it's like oh, that's a Nicholas Oberon yeah. story. Uh, it's just it's unique. But when I think of, like detective stories, you know how many detective stories I've read where like I've seen people on like Twitter's like oh check out because I I like to like check out indie authors' work like if they have like a free sample or something just to see kind of what's out there. So many detective stories, it's weird. They don't use hard words for their like noir stories. Like you think you would, you're using, you're writing a, a fucking noir crime fiction. Why are you not using hard language? They, they like they either overwrite or it's just like the almost like a fantasy story where it's just, like it's too fucking whimsical here. Mm. Like if this is a gritty noir story, I want hard hitting words. Yeah. You know? I want things that just actually like fucking crack yeah. you. You know, you don't fucking just go up and like like you smack someone, mm. you punch someone, you fucking you know. You talk about the way the hollow tip bounced off the ground or something. Like you don't you have to use like hard language for that kind of stuff. If you're just using like a regular kind of language to it, it's not gonna hit the audience at all. At least I think. Um unless it's supposed to be like a more comical kind of mm. crime noir or something. But and you get that with anything, like the fantasy. You have to use a very specific language for fantasy. You can't just write a fantasy like you'd write a crime fiction yeah you can't write a fantasy like you'd write a romance or a horror like all these could you imagine writing a horror in like a straight fantasy style like real whimsical yeah it'd be weird like it probably wouldn't be very good so i'm trying to think like i would like to say in my writing i've been focusing more on choosing the right words but since it's a first draft i'm like you i'm just trying to get it out yeah i think when it comes to choosing the right word i really think that comes with the rewrite if you can get it off the you know jump street, it's good for you. Yeah. But that's usually not the case. Anything you want to add to this conversation? I don't believe so. No. You want to read some of that Joyce out loud real quick? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, you want to take us out with the outro? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you at least want to tell people what your OnlyFans is? They know. All right, so that was the Drunken Pen Writing Review that we changed it. We're the Drunken Pen Writing Review, and we have a magazine, and it's very famous. Okay. Uh, no, that's real. Uh, so if you want to follow us, you can go on the old, uh, what are we on? Twitter. Twitter's, the Facebooks. Twitter at Drunk Pen Writing. Instagram at Facebook at Drunken Pen Writing. Uh, by the time this, I was going to say album drop. <laughs> Jesus. By the time this episode drops, we'll probably be starting our Halloween submission. So make sure you look out for that. That'll probably be Monday, actually. I'll post that because I already got submissions coming in and I haven't even. Posted. I just mentioned on Twitter that we'll be opening them soon to somebody that was asking if we had submissions yeah. and I'm already getting submissions. So we will be open to submissions uh, starting next week. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, DrunkenPenWriting.com. Uh, Spencer's OnlyFans is the. Uh, what were you? Not Bermuda. I don't remember now. We'll say Bermuda. It's not. Yeah. I know it's not right, but Burmese. I think you were Burmese. Yes. Burmese bird bugger. Yes. Bugger. Bugger. Is it bugger or bugger? Too many ERs in there. Um. Yeah. So anyway, folks, thank you for listening. And uh, if we get sponsored by Freewrite, buy it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Despite what we said. <laughs> Great product. <laughs>